Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with Adweek.com. With me as he is each week is Tim Nudd. Uh, Tim, you are in Las Vegas this week, which we'll be talking about in a bit. How, how are things going? Uh, not too bad. Thanks for having me on as usual. Yeah, thanks for getting up early for us. Um, and also back is Sammy Main, a staff writer covering the digital media industry at Adweek. Sammy, welcome back. Hi, thank you. And very excited to welcome a special guest, Bennett D. Bennett, a copywriter at BBDO and one of the stars of our young influential issue that just came out, uh, where we celebrate kind of the rising stars of the industries we cover. And Bennett, we are so excited that you had time to come join us today. I am excited to be on this list, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you to Adweek. We are going to we're going to talk a lot about you and about all the other cool folks on there, and uh, we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But first. Let's talk about the news. All right. Well, definitely one of the uh, just weirdest and and biggest kind of marketing stories the last few days. It was the inevitable uh, seeming fall of of any towering uh, kind of campaign that everyone loves in the uh, in the marketing industry. It was Fearless Girl, which of course we've been talking about for months and months now. It has won just about every award there is to win uh, in the ad industry. Uh, and it really found itself in a bad PR spot uh, in the last few days. State Street Corp., uh, which is the parent company of the client. Uh, so basically, uh, st- st- uh, Tim, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but State Street Global Advisors put out Fearless Girl with uh, with their agency, McCann, New York. Correct. They are, a, they are a subsidiary of a very large financial company called State Street Corp., so it gets confusing, and it certainly doesn't help your PR uh, when your name is basically the same. Uh, so State Street uh, announced they will be paying $5 million to hundreds of women, to several minority employees who were found in a federal audit to be underpaid uh, compared to their white male colleagues. Uh, this is obviously the very opposite of the entire intent of Fearless Girl. Now, this is one of those where the headline uh, is really easy for a lot of people to make fun of. People who've had beefs with uh, Fearless Girl are certainly using this opportunity. 
opportunity. It's been very popular among the, you know, groups who are anti-feminist and groups who have been just kind of claiming that this is a bit uh, hypocritical of a campaign anyway. Uh, but I, I feel like we should point out a few details that are that are somewhat important. Uh, one, this goes back to uh, this data of uh, pay inequality goes back to 2010, uh, 2011 uh, is, is the date ranges that they were auditing. Uh, so a lot of this stuff has obviously that's. You know, that's six years ago. Uh, that said, I doubt they've really solved all their <laughs> pay inequality issues in six years. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is the the parent company. But still, none of those things really changes to the fact that in the end, uh, it, it, this is a, a big uh, kind of strike against uh, State Street, which has been leading this cause for more uh, women in leadership uh, at financial companies, and then to be found that it was grossly underpaying the women in those leadership positions at its own company. Uh, Tim, what do you think? First of all, is how much of a how much of a cloud is this going to cast over Fearless Girls' uh, legacy? Well, it's so deflating, isn't it? I mean, you know, the extra irony here is that Fearless Girl was so popular, and that its popularity is now working against it. You know, the, the hypocrisy becomes the story now. Uh, which is, you know, such great PR for for for, for uh, the, this campaign created for the client, and now it's just that's working against it. So it's just such a mess. Um, I don't know about the legacy. I mean, certainly this this makes the the, the fearless girl campaign uh, seem a bit more hollow than 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 it did before. Uh, having said that, you know, the, the people who are who are at the statue, and and you know, I think the statue still is probably powerful to to go visit. You know, it's a it's an amazingly crafted piece of work. Um, but you know, the broader the broader point here is this. You know, it's a textbook example of brands needing to actually behave in a way that aligns with their messaging. You know, it's something we've talked about for a long time. You know, in this day and age, it's so easy to research. You know, a brand uh, and, and a brand's actions matter as much as their words, and they have to line up. Uh, State Street appears not to have done that, um, but I, I think it does. You know, it, it was sort of the shoe that, that people maybe were expecting to drop. That you know, there was a lot of criti- criticism of. Uh, if you look at the State Street uh, board of directors, it was heavily skewed male. Um, I'm going to make a really weird analogy here. I'm going to say that um, you could almost you can almost say that State Street is kind of like Hugh Hefner in this situation. You know, the, the, he was a guy that sort of arguably did some positive things for women as a group while also being kind of horrible to them personally. I know that's kind of a weird um, metaphor, but, um, you know, not that, not that the company behind Fearless Girl wants to be likened to Hugh Hefner, but that's almost like the most generous thing you can say about them this morning. Well, I, I feel like, too, that for months the biggest complaint about Fearless Girl has often been that no one knows who the client is. No, the client tie-in is too weak. And, you know, it's it, it's like that's the biggest thing is people say, oh, 90% of people have no idea who the client is. And a lot of the, the PR fallout of this uh, really hinges on you knowing who the client is. <laughs> like otherwise, otherwise, this doesn't change anything about it. Um, Bennett, I'm I'm curious to get your take uh, because there there you know this is something as Tim mentions that comes up a lot in the sense that organizations say hey listen we know we're not perfect but that's not an excuse you can't wait until you have perfect gender balance you can't wait till you have perfect representation in the diversity of your employee base uh, to then start championing diversity you have to like get out in front of these things and be self you know aware <laughs> that said I should note that State Street uh, Corp has not it, you know they basically they deny all these charges they say that they did not underpay them so <laughs> that kind of undercuts any of their ability to be super transparent. But Bennett, what do you think? I mean, is that is that a valid argument that that you need to kind of step forward on these issues before really reaching that parity internally? 
Yeah, it's not just valid, but necessary. Uh, you know, you look at State Street, but on the flip side, you have a brand like HP, for example, that has started putting messaging out, you know, embracing more diverse workforces. But they're also doing it internally. They're also holding their agencies accountable. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that you want to hear as a consumer, right? That, you know, in this day and age when social issues and corporate America are intertwining the way they do, that brands are taking notice and thinking about how they're viewed on a holistic level and not just their ads. Yeah, I, I wanted to read a comment. So we actually, our, our managing editor, uh, Steph Paderick, moderated a panel about Fearless Girl, including the CMO of State Street Global Advisors, the subsidiary that specifically put out the statue uh, at Advertising Week. She moderated this. And uh, th- we pulled a quote from that, which I thought was really important. Their CMO said, do we as an organization reflect the penultimate makeup? I don't think he really meant penultimate, but, you know, probably ultimate. Do we as an organization reflect the penultimate makeup and reflection in being a diverse organization? No. And that was a risk because a lot of the people felt the message might be diluted by a lot of cynical people saying, well, who are you to talk about gender diversity when you're not a perfect embodiment of it? And, you know, so that quote I feel like really does highlight that there will always anyone who's ever worked on a marketing campaign that or any kind of social cause campaign, there's going to be that voice in the room. And it's a practical voice, but still that says, no, I don't know, guys, someone might get upset. You know, someone might say, but you have a white male CEO or someone might say, but how much charity did you give? You know, you're asking people to give money to help Puerto Rico. How much have you given to Puerto Rico? You know what I mean? There's always it's very easy to be that voice of like, well, I think we should just not mention it. Uh, because that's easier than trying to look like we're making headway. I'm curious to hear what Sammy has to say on this topic. Sammy has five words on this topic, and they are, if I had a nickel. It's like every other week, maybe this week in particular, or just recently, the the number of people who seem to be you know feminist-leaning or feminist-supporting or female-supporting or diversity-supporting are found not to be, even though that's what they were preaching, even though that's not what they were practicing. And so I'm glad that audit went back six years, but there's probably a whole bunch prior to that that should be looked at as well. And, and I agree that literally nobody outside of the industry knows who that statue was for or about. Yes, it represents, you know, women being represented and standing up to industries that maybe weren't very welcoming of them before. That's all people know about it. And the fact, I don't know, I think it's nice that they're getting their comeuppance because I think that this was a lot of feelings people had about the company beforehand. But um, hopefully it's it's a signal now, a different signal, that people do need to actually do better instead of just uh, asking other people to do so. Yeah, I kind of agree with that because, uh, sheesh, <laughs> nothing is beyond criticism nowadays. And I think, uh, you know, we work in this space, so, so we definitely understand that. Um, but as far as the legacy of the statue itself, you know, that's definitely going to endure. And this story is only going to add to, you know, I guess strides for progress for women, for people of color, uh, you know, for people in the LGBTQ space. So, you know, as bad as it looks for State Street, it still looks pretty good for Fearless Girl. 
Yeah, I think the again that the my biggest regret on something like this is that it this PR fallout coupled with the fact that State Street uh, parent company is saying, hey, we didn't do anything wrong. We deny these allegations, which really hamstrings their ability to say, hey, listen, you know, we we, we did like a lot of companies. We went through a, a many bad years, you know, but we've pulled out of it or we are focused. We are committed like poor, poor PR teams for State Street Global and McCann. They can't say that. You know, because the, the parent company is denying that any of this ever happened. So it's the worst of both worlds uh, for them. And I think it's going to be a this is going to be the kind of thing. It reminds me in a way of Goldie Blocks. If you guys remember them, the the uh, kickstarted board games for girls uh, and you know, they got so much momentum behind them, and everybody was so excited, and then they made... Tim, was it a Super Bowl ad? It wasn't a Super Bowl ad, no. I think it was just one of their early ads. Um, I, th- I thought they won... A, oh, no, they eventually won a Super Bowl ad, but it was a different one. Like, they won one of those... Uh, right, exactly. They won the yeah, tur- uh, Intuit... TurboTax, uh, yeah. TurboTax thing, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I got those mixed up. But the, um, you know, they they made this ad and they used um, lyrics from Girls by the Beastie Boys. They did not have the appropriate permissions. They did not handle the fallout from that very well when Beastie Boys were like, hey, could you stop? Like, Beastie Boys didn't sue them, but Goldie Box sued them, sued the Beastie Boys preemptively, which was a terrible PR move. Basically, that one decision, that one marketing decision cast this pall over the entire project. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, look at this dumb, you know, hypocritical thing. And so it's... These little moments end up becoming the giant asterisk that hovers over, uh, like any campaign that that is, you know, beloved. And this is a classic. Uh, am I remembering the term right? It's a milkshake duck, right? Isn't that the term? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> this is like, and I even saw a tweet yesterday in response to our Adweek uh, news item about this, where someone said, "We regret to inform you that Fearless Girl is sexist." <laughs> like, the classic, like, everyone loves Milkshake Duck. We regret to inform you Milkshake Duck is racist. Um, and, uh, you know, I taught my wife that phrase the other day, and she was like, man, it's amazing how much that comes up once you know that term. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we laugh now, but it's a horrible thing that keeps happening to uh, almost every different industry <laughs> or, you know, individual. Well, let's uh, talk about one other um, uh, big, uh, obviously a major global news story uh, was a horrible shooting in Las Vegas, uh, mass murder uh, from a gunman up in a hotel window uh, during a country music festival. And just a few days after that, I mean, this is Las Vegas, so obviously thousands and thousands of people are coming in and out every week. Uh, Tim, you were going out there for an advertising event, so you've been out there for a few days now. Um, I, I wanted to talk about some of the, uh, you know, the, the kind of, I guess, tourism marketing, some of the messaging that Las Vegas has put out. But first, I just wanted to hear kind of what was the atmosphere like when you got there? Well, obviously, pretty somber. Um, Las Vegas is a strange place in the on the best of days. Um, so there, you know, you do have still a ton of people just having a good time here. And, you know, I, I think this, obviously, this was a horrible, horrible thing uh, that happened. And I think the city has been hit pretty hard. I think the people who live here are, are in shock. Um the visitors, I think, you know, uh, I think it's it's less of a shock to them, or or at least it, it seems like uh, for a lot of the visitors here, it's kind of kind of business as usual. But it's certainly not that way for for the folks who who live here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I came in on Wednesday, so uh, you know, three or four days after uh, what what happened uh, with the shooting, and and I got to the airport, and and very quickly um, I saw that the the, the LV CVA, which is um, you know the the government agency here that handles Las Vegas tourism, 
Uh, they had rolled out a campaign already sort of reacting to the events. Uh, I think uh, Sunday night was was when the uh, the shooting happened. I think by Tuesday afternoon, uh, they rolled out new work, which is which is pretty quick. And, you know, uh, basically they're just these uh, sort of uh, white on black text on billboards with sort of a, a grayed out uh, dr- color drained uh, image of the, of the Las Vegas skyline. And it says, um, uh, we've been there for you during the good times. Thank you for being there for us now, uh, which was, you know, a pretty nice sentiment. I think, you know, I spoke to Arnie DeGeorge, who's the executive creative director over at R&R Partners. Uh, they've, they've been the longtime agency uh, for Vegas tourism. Uh, they're really well known for having come up with what happens here stays here, which of course is you know one of the one of the greatest tourism ad campaigns ever. And uh, Arnie said, you know, um, you know, very quickly after the shooting, I mean, Monday morning, the agency got together and and you know went into sort of control center mode and and tried to figure out what you know what they should say about this, if anything. And uh, you know they they very quickly um, sort of absorbed the, the goodwill from all around the world, not just the tourists visiting, but um, you know everyone around the country and around the world was sort of sending good vibes to the city. And 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 usually it's you know Las Vegas showing you know showing people a good time. So they sort of came up with those two lines about uh, you know we've helped you had a good time you know have good t- good times over the years, and 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 now you know you guys are helping us kind of recover from this. Um, obviously, you know, a marketing challenge pales in comparison to, to the tragedy, uh, you know, that happened. But, uh, you know, pretty, pretty cool work from R&R. And I think, you know, the interesting thing is there, these ads are all over the city. I saw them first at the airport, but then I got down to the Strip. And, you know, a lot of the big grand marquee sort of outdoor digital spaces that, that are all over the place here, so many of them were, were running these ads. And, uh you know, when a city is sort of grieving and, and has had, you know, a terrible thing happen, it's really interesting how out-of-home ads kind of play a role in sort of uniting people. You know, like, uh, think back to the all the United We Stand ads that were all over New York after 9-11. You know, there's something pretty cool about how, you know, out-of-home as a medium can sort of help a place, you know, unite after such a horrible thing. Well, and not to be, uh, you know, kind of tactical about this too, but uh, the I have a feeling a lot of advertisers probably did pull their ads um, from Vegas. Uh, we have some people at the A conference, the marketers conference that's happening right now, uh, and there were in I think there was an entire presentation about how uh, one major advertiser that was supposed to roll out an entire new brand campaign uh, pulled it because of the Las Vegas shooting. Um, you know, and so it, it is one where I think that's. This is seems to be a, a great way of handling that. If you're going to end up with a lot of people who don't want a, you know, your kind of stereotypical Las Vegas advertising message out there at this time, and so for them to move so quickly uh, was, was pretty impressive. Uh, Bennett, it seems like this is one of the biggest challenges agencies can face, uh, and and in terms of advising their clients, because it's kind of half half copywriting, half PR, right? And so, y- y- you know, do you think that? It's generally kind of the right thing to do to try to say something, to try to find that right message. Again, kind of going back to that earlier conversation, I feel like there's always going to be people in the room who just say, I don't know, guys, this could really look bad. Maybe we should just do nothing. I really like this response that Las Vegas had. You know, that helps the city in the long run with anybody who ever wants to visit there, you know, to know that. You know, it's a community that's made up not only of its natives and its hotels, but of its tourists. So, you know, for a city that's on the rebound, that is really powerful messaging to me. Uh, 
on and on the flip side, really good on these brands to just step back because if you don't have anything that's you know nice without trying to sell yourself, it's not going to look good today. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Tim, for that update. And which uh, what event are you out there for again? So it's the London International Awards uh, judging process. So this is one of the one of the big um, ad awards shows every year. It doesn't get as much press sometimes as, as you know the, the Cans and the One Shows and the Clios. Partly that's because they don't actually have um, an award show ceremony. Uh, and the reason they don't have an award show ceremony, they used to have one. Uh, they decided to take that money that they spent on putting on an event every year and they put it into this education program, which happens during the judging process. So what it's called Creative Liaisons, and I'll be doing a story about that uh, in the coming weeks after I get back uh, home. Uh, but it's really fascinating. They invite, uh, I think it's over 100. It may even be over 200. There's a ton of young creatives here, and they, and they fly them in and put them up uh, on their own dime, on the, L- on the LIA's dime, and they have two or three days of programming where they just bring all these young creatives into a room and they hear from, you know, the judges are here judging anyway. And so the judges one by one will give presentations to these young creatives. And these, these creatives are from all over the world. They're from Asia, Australia, you know, Africa, Middle East, like literally, uh, you know, and I think basically LA reaches out to agencies and says, and says, you know, send two people from your agency to, to liaisons this year and it's a fascinating program, and it's a great use of money that would otherwise go to just sort of a you know a, a boozy industry event in New York, which every other uh, you know so many ad awards uh, do. So really fascinating model, and uh, yeah, it's it's really it's really nice to see. All right, well, thank you, Tim, for the updates from Las Vegas, and uh, yeah, it's been interesting watching kind of half the social feeds. I well, not half, but a lot of the social feeds I follow on Instagram, especially, are creatives around the world, and a lot of them are in um, Las Vegas right now, and just seeing their perspectives, people coming in from all over the world at, at such an interesting time, uh, has been uh, pretty fascinating. All right, well, we're going to move on uh, to my favorite part of the show each week, uh, Tim, where Tim recaps the best ads of the week. We call it ads worth watching. Tim, uh, do you want me to set up the the first one here since you've been out of pocket for a little? Why don't yeah yeah why don't you uh, why don't you talk about Jackson Hole because you sort of steered this ship. All right, uh, well Jackson Hole, the ski resort destination, uh, has put out a new campaign. I'll just say off the top of the the thing, I'm not a fan of the campaign line. It is Stay Wild, which I feel like is the most. I don't know, most predictable. I mean, I it, maybe I'm just jaded by I was a copywriter on tourism campaigns for a while, and this is like that first one or that, that safe one that you throw out that nobody gets super excited about. That said, they had a really fascinating TV spot, and that's the story here is the launch TV spot uh, that they put out for this, or maybe it's going to mostly be an online video spot. It's created by uh, Cole McAvoy, the, the Minnesota-based agency. The premise here is that, well, I mean, it's, a, it's your usual montage of a lot of uh, exciting uh, images from Jackson Hole, but uh, it's set to the audio from uh, Charlie Chaplin, uh, speaking about uh, basically the evils of machinery and of uh, and specifically really Nazism uh, in, in his original. So this is from the movie The, the Great Dictator, uh, in which he plays a, uh, this kind of everyman who stumbles in because of his uh, similarity to a Hitler-type uh, character. He ends up as a 1940 movie, so Hitler's still in power. Uh, and at the end, he gives this very stirring speech about um, kind of how 
there's a better way. We don't need to be evil to each other. We de- we don't need to let the industrial revolution kind of plow over us all and and turn us into non-humans. So they felt that uh, some of this audio, certainly not all of it, but some of it would be a really good fit for this tourism. So let's listen to how it got cut together uh, for a for this tourism spot. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful. But we have lost the way. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. Don't give yourselves to brutes, men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines, you are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. And so obviously when you couple that with this footage of uh, people, you, you know, getting out, getting away, and, and they've got the, the, the dark stock art of people like suffering through working in daily life uh, and being on phones all the time and then versus the idea of getting out, enjoying nature. Uh, I think it's a really well done ad. It sounds like they were really on, uh, you know, on the edge the whole time about whether Charlie Chaplin's estate would approve this. Um, that's certainly anyone who's won a pitch on an ambitious uh, piece of audio can can knows the stress of then you, you win the pitch and then you hope like, like when they get the gave the pitch to the client the client stood up and clapped and that's awesome <laughs> that's really rewarding but then if you cannot get the licensing to that you will suffer <laughs> uh, and so they ended up getting it. Uh, the estate did approve it, which was uh, obviously vital for this to work. Um, I, I, I think the question I'm curious uh, to hear from you folks, and we've gotten some pushback uh, on, on Twitter about this as well, is this speech got a lot of pass around during the election season because is this stirring uh, appeal against authoritarianism? And some of that was kind of cut out, you know, to, to really focus on the aspects of machinery and don't let the machinery, you know, turn us into non-humans. Uh, you know, Bennett, do you think that they made the right call here of using that audio or do, or do you think they, they kind of, uh, just commercialized something that, uh, you know, even though it was a Hollywood movie was, you know, more political in nature. I like what they did. And when you understand the context, the added context, it makes it even more powerful. Uh, but I love it. Stay wild. It's cool to see a lot of what Jackson Hole's doing and, the LA original stuff that just came out as well. It's, it's bringing tourism into the lifestyle space too, which is, which is pretty awesome. You know, everybody wants to stand for something and, you know, be about things that they fully believe in. So, you know, I might actually buy a stay wild shirt for Christmas. Nice. I I like it that much. Yeah, the merch is the merch is good. You know, they 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 really did a good job of the packaging. I think to me, you know, I, I don't love the line because uh, I feel it's a little generic. But in, in the end, you know, a line is what you make of it. Uh, if uh, you know, if Sherwin Williams can have that cover the world, pour paint all over the planet thing for 
80 years or whatever and still make it work. You can make anything work. Uh, t- Tim, what did you think of this one when you when you watched it? Well, I, I immediately thought, wow, like what a shortcut to a manifesto. Just take it from somewhere else. You know, it reminded me... <laughs> Reminded me a lot of the Paul Harvey speech that was used yeah, in, farmer. In, the, yeah. the, in the Ram Trucks Farmer commercial, uh, on, which was on the 2013 Super Bowl ad. I mean, you know, you probably can't write better than that, so just run the run the audio over it. I mean, it works. I thought it worked really well. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't really have a, a picture of Jackson Hole uh, before seeing this at all, and, and it certainly gives them an attitude. Sammy, thoughts. I like stay wild. I don't know. I like it. I think if other cities can have stay weird, we can have stay wild as like a city slogan. Why not? I don't know. I thought it was fun. I think, you know, the speech, it, yes, it, it might be a bit of a shortcut to kind of get more direct to your point and, and maybe a little better than you could have said it. But I don't know. I like the overall message and, and I think it looks great, too. Well, and and I should note that the challenge here that the client really gave them was that they wanted something that would appeal, I, I guess, the locals. And that's probably true of a lot of these, uh, you know, ski resort places. But the locals really do not love the commercialization of Jackson Hole. Uh, the the land is primarily public owned, like something like ninety five percent public owned, which is crazy. You know, in the ski resort industry, um, I used to live near Tahoe, and I spent a lot of time in Colorado, and those are very private, very commercialized places. You don't really run into locals. You know, you don't see locals. And so this was a campaign where they really wanted something that would appeal to both, uh, you know, that the locals would feel is not overly commercializing Jackson Hole, but that the tourists obviously would want to get up and go there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so it was an interesting campaign. Well, let's talk about uh, the other one that you wanted to feature this week, Tim. Yeah, I just wanted to talk quickly about the new Volkswagen uh, ad from from Denmark, actually. Uh, it's a six-minute short film, and, and before I describe it, I just wanted to play the opening few seconds of it, actually, which are which are kind of unusual. So, yeah, not too many ads open with a guy screaming his head off in anger. Uh, turns out this scene is one that's been kind of taken from the middle of the ad and kind of plopped at the beginning. The, the scene gets played again later. Uh, but it, after that opening scene, it quickly goes back to the beginning, and it shows a man sort of preparing to take a road trip with his aging father. Uh, it, it's pretty clear that they don't get along. Um, the mother is sort of has sort of set it up that they would they would do this. So the father and son set out in the old man's vintage Beetle, uh, which which the old man is is really obsessed with. And the you know the misunderstanding between the two men becomes pretty apparent as the story goes on. Uh, the son seems particularly resentful that his dad loves the Beatles so much, while he apparently has had trouble expressing love for his son. In the same way, they have a uh, they ha- they have a blow up uh, while they're playing a chess game out out in nature. And uh, then we get the scene again with the son. He drives off and he he jumps out of the car and screams and. I won't spoil the ending. It's a pretty interesting ending. Uh, it was really nicely done. I think you know the ad's really notable because it deals with a topic that almost no advertiser deals with outside of outside of comedy, which is you know dysfunctional families and and how painful family life can be. And you know advertising, almost all advertising in in, in one form or another, uh, idealizes the world. Um, you know, even even stuff that, that purports to show real families, uh, you know, the message is always really uplifting. You think about, you know, the, the wholesome campaign that, that Honeymade has done. You know, these are families that, that are underrepresented in advertising, but they're still portrayed in, in an ideal 
light and you know it's very it's very different uh, to show a family uh, real family problems and you know this is something that a couple of different advertisers have done um, this new Volkswagen ad actually was from an agency called Vary in Copenhagen and last year um, uh, actually at the I think it was last year at Cannes uh, Vary won a, a gold lion at Cannes in, in entertainment for doing uh, a long short film for another automaker for Ford uh, about a family uh, that, that's uh, that the mother and father are divorced and how they shuttle their kids around and, and share uh, parenting. So this agency clearly is very committed to kind of taking a, a, a more real approach at looking at family life. Uh, IKEA in Sweden has done a little bit a little bit of this, um, you know, uh, uh, talking about real families. Uh, that that stuff though is also kind of idealized. So. Uh, I spoke to the director. It's a guy named Soon Svanborg Sorensen. I spoke to him this week about the the new Volkswagen ad, and he said, "Look, you know, it's worth the risk to to try to show ads that uh, people can relate to, um, you know, because the question becomes, is it relatable or is it just depressing? And I think, you know, that's a, an, an interesting balance. Um, I think part of it comes down to the execution too. I mean, this this Volkswagen ad plays almost like a real short film. Apparently it is a short, a short film. It, it's the, the, we've seen the six minute version, but they're actually going to be entering a 10 minute version, uh, in film festivals, which is kind of interesting too. So, you know, it's, a uh, it's an interesting, uh, you know, way to, you know, look at, uh, an advertising from, from a different point of view. Maybe it doesn't have to be as idealized. Maybe, you know, maybe you can show real life, uh, even the painful aspects of real life and, uh, make a connection with consumers. And I think this one, you know, more than more than a lot of ads I've seen, uh, this this really does make that connection. It's really you know ex- expertly made and and you know good, good on Volkswagen. I have a kind of a tangential question for Sammy on this. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about, and I mean, it's it's no surprise for decades, uh, advertising has always idealized uh, families' life. In general, reality TV does it, of course, too. Um, but I'm curious how this is manifesting with influencers, with, you know, your social influencers, your your YouTube stars. Uh, you know, the ones I've watched, they seem very hyper curated. And while they kind of tend to make fun of themselves a bit, they obviously still have that a bit of that planted uh, vibe, you know, to use the term for when people kind of plan their candid moments. Uh, do, you, do you feel we're still kind of over... Uh, you know, over idealizing life in in this kind of new round of influencer video, or are they getting a little more real? I've never heard "planted" before, and that's gonna blow my mind the rest of the yeah, day. Yeah, there's 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 whole think there's whole think pieces on that. Yeah. I a quick story. Literally last night, I was in an improv rehearsal, and someone was in a scene, and their character was a background actor for Instagram photos. And I was like, "Wow, that's genius!" And also, does that happen? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, but I, I will say this: um, it, it depends on maybe the the platform you post on. I think a lot of us have found refuge in Instagram over the past few weeks, months, uh, political years, uh, because over there it's a very nice space. Everyone's on vacation or eating good meals and over on Twitter and Facebook are kind of where the garbage fires have become. <laughs> um, and, and YouTube it has maybe become more, you know, um, video game streams or goofy places to kind of relax. Obviously, there are glaring exceptions <laughs> to that uh, for people who have done not so great things on YouTube. Um, but I, I think with influencers in general, the people who make the the biggest and best connections with their fans are the ones that are more real and do share, you know, true moments with them, but behind the veil, so to speak, of, of what they've been working on and presenting. And so um, 
for for the ones I follow, you know, there's a level of honesty there, and they also post all the time on Snapchat and, and Instagram stories, and you're able to see their day-to-day lives, which are not always as glamorous as, you know, what they appear to be in, in vlogs or more scripted content. So I think the ones that do make good connections are the ones that are honest about what's going on and, and kind of, you know, as personal as they care to get. Um, there, there is a level of, you know, now they're a weirdly global public figure. And so people will kind of guess, uh, regardless, like last week, my mom texted me asking if a YouTuber had broken up with someone she had been dating because it had been a long time since she'd watched her channel. And I was like, yeah, where have you been? Duh. And she was like, oh, I haven't watched in a while. But like, these are things that, that they they choose to share levels of and because they film out of their home sometimes you know when they move you know when they move out after living with somebody it's very clear um so what i appreciate about this ad and maybe about content in general i really like and appreciate seeing real lives seeing real people depicted whether or not it's ideal and i think that rawness is something people can appreciate as well bennett you're a copywriter uh you know are you feeling a little more uh the clients are a little more receptive these days to the not just typical family or and then even beyond family just the idea that everyone's all happy all the time <laughs> Yes, it actually makes me really happy. (laughs) I'm a really big fan of storytelling. I know there was this uh, article on your website yesterday about how storytelling is not advertising. And sometimes that's fine. Advertising, you know, shouldn't be all in your face nowadays. You know, we know these brands. We interact with these brands already. So if, you know... They're integrated in our lives, but in a quiet way, but also in a way that resonates with an audience. You know, Volkswagen made a really good example of it. Well, all right, guys. Thank you for uh, collecting those, as always, Tim, especially from out in Las Vegas. It is time to move on to our big discussion of the week. This uh, this week we were talking about our young influentials issue. This is you know one could call it our our thirty under forty. <laughs> it's like I don't know I don't know is that the number of people we honor each year really matters. Uh, I think we do have a forty year old cutoff, um, but uh, but essentially these are rising stars in a way they are more importantly they are people who are influencing the worlds around them uh, sometimes in more direct ways sometimes in more subtle ways it's certainly not all like we don't just make a spreadsheet by the number of uh of followers you have on instagram and then sort you know from highest to lowest uh this is a really fabulous mix and bennett you made the list congratulations on uh being one of our young influentials oh thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> I'm still freaking out about it. Yeah, so tell me, like, when um, before we kind of get into uh, some of the reasons that we put you on there, uh, I'm just curious how that how, how that felt when when you found out that you were on this list. Um, I did my research on past lists, and it, it blew me away because you know I know a lot of these people just by you know seeing them on the news or you know trying to interact with them on Twitter. You know, I'm kind of a fan of a lot of these people. So, uh, you know, and a lot of the stuff that you see past influentials and this current list of influentials, you know, it's the stuff that people usually see on a daily basis. And I'd like, I 
to consider myself to be on the more subtle end <laughs> of industry impact. You're uh, not putting out original shows on HBO or anything? Not yet. Yeah. Give it time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, let me first say that I think your Twitter feed should be required reading uh, for really everybody in um, in marketing and media. It is uh, the Ace Capade, uh, so the and then A C E Ace C A P A D E. That that's right, right? That is correct. Good plug for you, the, or just Google Bennett D Bennett. Twitter, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have been following you for for a good while now, um, and I have just I think you bring obviously this mix of of professional uh, you know quality and skill uh, to your from your copywriting. Uh, you also have a variety of um, of you know professional interests. Uh, you do voiceover. Uh, you know, you you actually you were a physics major. Was that right? Yeah. <laughs> so my parents groomed me for. Uh career in the sciences. They immigrated from Jamaica and uh, they wanted me to have a more stable career. I always loved writing though. So, uh, you know, I went to high school in Brooklyn where they had majors and my major was biochemistry, uh, but physics was my best class. And all I wanted to do at that point in time was write superhero stories. So I figured, you know, (laughs) let's, uh, Go to college, study physics, maybe be in acoustics or optics, because my dad used to work on stereos and TVs all the time, so I was just always around that, uh, and see if I could strike out as the next great comic book writer or superhero novelist, maybe write the superhero version of Harry Potter, but we now know where I am now in this Adweek room, and I'm working in advertising. <laughs> well, and it, and it seems like I've always felt that advertising is the kind of industry that gives you, as a writer, I really do feel, I, I spent eight years in an agency after working in journalism and then going back to journalism. I do feel like that eight years uh, dramatically improved my writing uh, because it takes you out of yourself and makes you write for other people, which is something that all writers should learn at some point. Um, but but many of us kind of live in our own egos and, and don't, it, you know, how, how do you feel that that experience of be, being a copywriter has changed your writing on the fiction side and your other interests? Um, I always looked at advertising since uh, going to my first industry event like six years ago as storytelling for brands. That was how I translated it for me, for myself, because I was always writing fiction and putting characters together. So, you know, when I'm at BBDO and, you know, I've been able to work on a plethora of clients since I started there, and I just treat each one like a character and the audience as fans that you want to appeal to, but each of them should have, you know, something to like, something to root for. Um, But... You know, being agency side has just been so wonderful because now I know how to craft and hone a message tighter. Now I don't think of just working on books, but maybe I do make a series on HBO or some sort of content down the line. Uh, It's just been fascinating, and I'm so appreciative to be in this really crazy beautiful industry at times because there's just so much potential that this industry does that, you know, a lot of other industries won't be able to provide. 
or are too scared to provide. Well, I'm curious to get your thoughts on some of the other folks who made the list. Obviously, the biggest name each year is usually our cover star. Uh, last year was Donald Glover. Uh, this year, it's Issa Rae. Uh, she really kind of blew up as a YouTube star. Uh, she had a hit show called uh, uh, called Awkward Black Girl uh, that really segued into a lot of other opportunities. She's written a best-selling memoir. Uh, and, of course, uh, in her most high-profile role, she created the show Insecure on HBO. Uh, Sammy, I feel like you've been a fan uh, since almost the word go. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, because it is, like you said, you kind of have to pay attention to everything at all times. When I'm working, I have TweetDeck open on one monitor and like my other work on another. It's kind of like a, a ticker for breaking news. So it's kind of been really fun to see her progress in such a relatively short amount of time. And I think everybody has embraced her and loved her honesty and her humor um, and, and everything she kind of stands for. I think she's absolutely wonderful. Um, so I feel like, uh, you know, she is a really kind of fascinating example of the, well, no, not so much an example, an exception. Like, I've been wondering when are we going to have a YouTube star really break out? And I don't mean like, they're in ads for Windex or something. I mean, like they legitimately break out and their talent of making short films on YouTube really then transcends and translates into really big budget stuff. Uh, now you've got Isaray on HBO uh, and, you know, and working on a movie, original movie for, for Netflix. Um, Sammy, I, I feel like she is the, the exception. I mean, are there, are there others or is this part of a trend or is she really kind of one of the few who's broken out in that way? It's very interesting because to me, and I might be off base, but to, to me, I wouldn't consider Issa Rae a YouTuber. Like, I feel like she wasn't necessarily in that world because that world can feel very cliquish. And so I think she was kind of operating outside of that and kind of trying to find her own footing. Um, to that end, Broad City was also a web series before it was produced for Comedy Central. And that was creative almost out of sheer spite because Abby and Alana couldn't get on to an Upright Citizens Brigade um, house team, a, a team that performs regularly at the theater they kept not getting on a team and so they did something on their own and Amy Poehler one of the founders of UCB is now one of the major producers of their show so I feel like really talented web series can definitely break out we, we've seen that from web series across the the scope so I don't know that I would paint Issa as a as a YouTuber per se but she was definitely kind of groundbreaking a bit on on YouTube and that's where she got noticed and then a book and then a show and then the, everything else is happening for her so so I guess she's she's an exception because no, not everybody should make a web series in hopes of getting it produced for <laughs> HBO. Please, God, stop making web series. But also, some of them that are truly special will find their way. Now, the uh, in our cover story by Christina Monlos, um, in with our interview with her, uh, she, you know, the it, her influence seems really obvious in the sense that she is the kind of person that not only do fans run up to. Uh, when they see her in public, but that they they don't just like pose for a selfie. Uh, you know, they tell her how much she has inspired them. Uh, and this is, you know, again, for someone this young uh, to be inspiring people in, uh, in so many different ways, you know, in what they can accomplish in their career as writers, as as filmmakers, in really every role. Bennett, do you feel like like she she is one of these kind of rare figures who seems to inspire people beyond just, hey, you're famous and cool. Like you you actually make me want to create as well. I actually have an Issa Rae story. <laughs> <laughs> I was grabbing lunch with a coworker one day on Ninth Avenue, 
in Hell's Kitchen, and somebody looked like Issa Rae sitting in front of this restaurant we were going to, Vinyl, and we were looking at each other and asking, that's got to be Issa Rae, right? <laughs> so I walk up to her and say, excuse me, miss, you look a lot like Issa Rae. And then she turns around, signature smile, and just says to me, my friends say the same thing. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, my God, you are Issa Rae. Um, I love your stuff. I know you're working on something on your phone right now. I'm just going to go eat my lunch and appreciate this moment for what it is. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, she's a storyteller. You know, I... I really respect how she's gone about her business. You know, for I don't think a lot of YouTube stars who do make web series, you know, they understand that, you know, it's a way to showcase your talents. But the major leagues is still the HBOs, the broadcast televisions, you know, traditional media, the more traditional media outlets are still that place that anybody aspires to go to. So, um, you know, I definitely agree with what Sammy says. Like, I don't necessarily see Issa Rae as a, a YouTuber. You know, she's a storyteller that used YouTube as her platform because, you know, it's just so hard to break into Hollywood. And, you know, she just has that amount of talent, that amount of charisma, that willingness to showcase vulnerable characters that has helped her so much and it shows an insecure let's uh talk about a few of the other um folks who made the list this this year uh sammy you wrote up quite a few of them are there any that you wanted to kind of flag as uh as interesting to note sure well kind of on the topic of youtubers and i'll keep it short and sweet so we can get through as many as we feel like um but hannah hart who hosts my drunk kitchen on youtube um which started as like a a gift for a friend many years ago as thank you for letting her friend stay in her apartment she got drunk and tried to cook something and then it turned into like an international phenomenon um so but this year she had her own show on food network it was a six episode show called i heart food which is a bit of a pun on her last name and she loves puns and she traveled around the country kind of um delving into to cities that people don't normally feature on shows like that to kind of get into what makes their city's food unique and cool. Um, and it was really, it was exactly what we were talking about. It's kind of a way of, it's still the big leagues. It's still very exciting, even though it, it might be quote unquote more traditional. It's still very cool to be on on cable and television for realsies this time. Um, so I really enjoyed speaking with her. And she's always been a beacon for kind of mental health and self-care. And for the LGBTQ community, it's been really cool to see her rise. And you also uh, wrote up the um, uh, Matthew Hinnick, I believe is his name, from BuzzFeed Motion Pictures. Uh, tell us about the role he's playing over at BuzzFeed. Sure. So he's head of development for BuzzFeed Motion Pictures, and that's kind of the fun, fancy film <laughs> name they've given to their overall kind of video strategy department. Um, it's mostly based out in L.A., which is where Matthew is. And so it's kind of his job to to highlight talents they can either bring in and create a series with or ideas they can come up with and maybe turn into a series. Um, he's been working on, you know, Tasty and, and Worth It, kind of these huge TV-esque numbers 
um, of, of viewers, billions of views um, during their time. And so it's kind of his job to see how to scale that and where they can indicate, you know, new fun series that they could turn into brands like they have with these. Um, and his his kind of mission right now is to convince advertisers who spend, you know, I think he says $72 billion on ad-supported television, that they're wasting a lot of time not paying attention to the digital space, that you're getting a more global audience, a bigger audience than some, you know, cable networks. Uh, so that that's kind of what he's up to. So it's really kind of fun to see, you know, just one of the many brains over there and kind of how, how the magic gets made for them. I, I think one of the, probably certainly the youngest person on there this year, uh, in, unless I'm wrong, is uh, Tiffany Zhang. Uh, it's Z-H-O-N-G out in San Francisco. She's 20. Uh, she's the founder of a group called Zebra Intelligence, which is basically a Gen Z uh, advisory firm uh, for brands uh, to help them understand uh, Gen Z and teens. Uh, she calls herself kind of a teen whisperer. Uh, <laughs> as, as a 20-year-old, she's obviously a nice bridge for that. But what's fascinating to me is that she is also a retired VC, a retired venture capitalist. Uh, I would I would love to Casual. be a sixty. Yeah, a six, at twenty. I would love to be a sixty-year-old retired VC, but I would certainly <laughs> take it at twenty or even forty. Um, and uh, Tiffany and I have actually spoken, uh, uh, you know, at length, and uh, she is a really fascinating person. I think she's one of those where, as much as she has already accomplished, uh, it'll be pretty fascinating to see over the next few years everywhere she, uh, you know, she goes. She's going to be writing for Adweek, uh, you know, somewhat consistently about some of these topics that, that she is, you know, rapidly becoming uh, one of the top experts in. Uh, also, I liked seeing Kate Trumbull on there. She is the director of digital marketing for Domino's and was kind of the, the I, I believe the uh, the person who created their wedding registry, which is yet another <laughs> bizarre Domino's uh, a feature. Tim, uh, who who else uh, jumped out at you on the list this year? Uh, well, not too many agency folks. It was great to have Bennett on, as we've mentioned. Uh, Kurt Mills also squeaked under the wire. He, he's the 39-year-old uh, uh, ACD over at uh, Goodby Silverstein. And, you know, everything that they've done lately from the Cheetos Museum to the Rock the Vote stuff uh, during the election. Uh, just a really good guy as well. And it was great to see him on the list. Yeah. the uh, And I feel like this comes just a few months after our Creative 100, uh, where we list, obviously, 100 of the top creative professionals. We never repeat that list. Uh, and so I feel like uh, Young Influentials is always kind of a nice chance, even though we do include some agency folks. It's good a good place to kind of represent some of the other rising talent in other industries. Although we did have one overlap, Anda Ganska, uh, who is an entrepreneur running a uh, a uh, metrics, a really cool new metrics firm. Uh, she made both lists. Uh, but uh, they, another one that I thought was interesting was April Underwood, who's the VP of product at Slack. Uh, she's again, you know, pushing the outer limits of the under 40. She's 37, but uh, has really had a fascinating career. You could not ask for a better startup to be at right now than Slack. Uh, and running product at Slack, man, what a, what an awesome job. Uh, and so uh, she's also the co-founder of a group called I don't know how you say it out loud. Hashtag angels. Um, but it's, uh, it is a women, women owned. <laughs> no, right. Okay, grandpa. Yeah. You I, say I, hashtag. I love like, okay, I mean, you don't say fine. pound angels, but it's just weird to like say something with a symbol in it out loud. Mm -hmm. But, uh, the hashtag angels is a women owned, women owned investment group, uh, basically kind of a VC group that helps support startups led by women. Uh, so she's obviously doing more than just kind of her workaday stuff at Slack. Uh, Bennett, I know you didn't have too long to check out the list, but was there anyone who jumped out at you? Any names you recognize from either your industry or just from being a, a fan? Uh, well, my sister watches Hannah Hart, 
So it's good to see her on that list. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'm the second youngest person on the list. Can you believe that? Wow. Um, You you had uh, the the (laughs) 20-year-old. Yeah. Like, and that tells you, like, the amount of crazy talent there is in the world. Uh, But what Sarah Crockett's doing at uh, REI, you know, REI's been so, so crucial during Black Friday these past couple of years, and um, she's one of the reasons why. Uh, Obviously, Kate Trumbull, I'm a huge fan of what Domino's is doing. One of my close friends from college is actually like a huge Domino's fan, and she's considering having pizza served at her wedding from Domino's. So (laughs) it's working. (laughs) What they're doing is working. What a bold future we live in where there are big fans of Domino's. Like, that, man, that <laughs> talk about a brand. Uh, you know, I know that their stock has increased something like four-digit percentile like, over the last few years. But it, truth be told, I don't have a Domino's anywhere near me to really try. But it's certainly a brand that has, has turned itself around uh, and largely, you know, fueled that with, uh, with uh, great marketing, too, uh, from CPB. So, um well, that that's uh, any any uh, Sammy. Yeah, we got time to throw out one last one. Anybody else that you wanted to mention? Sure, I'll throw out the other person I wrote about. Um, her name is Arlie Sisson. Um, she works over at Condé Nast and kind of makes like both. Yes, they're cool CMS work uh, for them to take it to other people as well. But really cool, like, chatbots. So Allure's Best of Beauty issue recently came out, and they created a a chatbot that you could talk to just within your phone, within messaging, um, to help you sort through their huge, like, 200-plus item list for something that's totally right for you, and then, yes, help you purchase it. (laughs) So there's lots of cool things that they're working on over there. It's such a, a legacy sort of publishing company. It's nice to know that the future is possible for them. Well, thank you so much, Sammy. It's always great to have you on. Bennett, uh, such a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed your uh, your first uh, appearance on the Adweek podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. And I definitely recommend, again, everyone follow Bennett. He is the Acecapade on uh, Twitter, or you can just Google Bennett D. Bennett uh, in Twitter, and you'll find him. Uh, all right, and don't forget, you can drop us an email. Uh, we're at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. We love getting your notes. Our theme music is by Home. This episode was produced by Charles Getz. Uh, Thank you, Charles. Please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Those reviews mean a lot to us, but they also help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we will be back next week. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.